0: I preached a message about this several years ago and I, I'm kind of going in the same uh, venue as this but it's going to have a little bit of, diff- some little bit of a new uh, some new things and some old things both but I feel like it was, it was in conjunction with what we've been talking about the last couple weeks even last week's message and, and into this week so uh, I want to just start with I was thinking about a story that happened in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16 Paul and Silas are in Philippi And it says that day that once in verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And this woman comes along, they're on their way to, to, to a place of prayer, and all of a sudden, and she says these things, She, this is what she says, she says she followed Paul and the rest of us, and I'm when she says the rest of us, remember, Luke is writing all this, so he's, he's a part of it, he's, he's watching this take place. She, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I want you to know this morning, Satan is not afraid of using truth to deceive people. Truth, not the full truth, of course, is being spoken here by the enemy of God. It is in this place that we need discernment. Men and women, the gift of discernment, those who can distinguish between words, deeds, appearances, and which, which those things that are true and those things that are false. Though her words are true, the spirit behind them was false and sought to lure people with a little bit of truth so that the opportunity could, not be, could be used to heap a, a reproach on the gospel of Christ. Paul judged her words to be true, but by appearance, the spirits guiding her, they were insincere. He was not fooled by what looked like right on the outside. And he says in verse 18, She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Sometimes we think of, of these things as black and white, but the enemy loves to operate in the area that is almost white, almost truth. Sometimes it may be even appear to be good. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins telling his disciples that he's going to suffer. And in Matthew 16, 21, it says, From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Peter, much like most of us, he's not going to have any part of this. Peter takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Peter is saying something that is perceived as good. He's saying, Jesus, I don't want you to die. He wants to speak positively to Jesus. You will overcome, is what he wanted to tell him. And in the midst of this, Jesus comes back and he says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, when we look at this, we could say, well, wasn't Peter saying something that was good? Yeah, he was saying, Jesus, I don't want you. You, don't, you shouldn't have any part of what you're talking about. You're not going to die. But if we really look at this, I've heard people say over the years, I've heard people say they have discernment, even the gift of discernment, that they understand the spiritual realm. Their hair stands up on the back of their heads. They're attuned to the spiritual realm. They can even recognize an evil spirit. But when evil doesn't appear evil at all, are we able to recognize it? When it appears as light and good, can we recognize it? I would like to speak briefly this morning about biblical discernment, what it looks like, who has it, do I need it? There are two aspects I want to look at this morning with discernment. Discernment is a necessity in the life of every believer. Secondly, discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Biblical discernment is synonymous with the ability to think biblically. The ability to discern. It's exactly that. In fact, in Hebrews, Paul says it like this. He says, But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The word here, discern, is a word the crisis. And it really and it, it means a thorough judgment. A discernment which distinguishes I couldn't believe this, look-alikes. Things that appear to be the same. That's exactly what discernment really looks like. It is really, it's not discernment. So many times I think we think it's, well, it's evil or it's good. No, he's saying, listen, there is going to be this place. Discernment is that place where everything, it'll look almost identical to God, but it's not. The same word is used in Corinthians when he speaks of the spiritual gifts. He says there, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. So there's two distinct discernments. One, one that every believer must possess and is cultivated, like we're going to see here in Hebrews, and then one that is a gift of the Holy Spirit to the body. And Chris talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit a couple weeks back. So let's go back to Hebrews 5.14 there. And he says that, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's interesting to me because he says practice there. The word there is hexis. means habit. It means conditioning. It means practice. So he says those who because of conditioning, those who because of habit have have their senses, then he begins to use this, this different word here, Trained. This word here, train, means it's actually the word that we get gymnasium. It means to train to to uh, properly to be um, like in a, a sporting event. To train with one's full effort, with complete physical, emotional force, like like working out intensely in a gymnasium. So think about what he's saying here. But solid food is for the mature. The one who, because of continually practicing, have their senses trained like in a gymnasium to discern and discerning, being able to discern what those lookalikes are. It's getting down to the root. Constant use, constant fully trained. That's how we can discern. If you are not fully immersed yourself in the good things that God has, but in... And what, sometimes what happens is we immerse ourselves in good things, but not God things. If you, haven't, if you have difficulty recognizing, then what we need to do is immerse ourselves in godly things. Godly music, godly thinking, godly reading. Change our aspect, the way we're going, because that is going to help us discern. That's what he's saying. He says, that because of practice, because you've conditioned yourself, because you found yourself constantly in this place. It's like money at the bank. My wife was a teller for many years. And when they teach you how to to recognize a false, you know, not a dollar bill, of course, but a hundred dollar bill. They teach you by giving you the real thing. And making you so acquainted with the real thing. That when you feel the, ro- the phony thing, it's immediate. You know, this isn't, this isn't a hundred dollar bill. You recognize it by that feel. And exactly that's what he's saying here. Because you've trained yourself. Because you've constantly immersed yourself in the things of God. If we constantly immerse ourselves in the things of the world. The world's music. The world's thought life. The world's TV. You know what we're going to find? We're not going to have the discernment we need. And I'm not saying that all those things are even bad. But, but if we don't immerse ourselves. We don't practice See that's the only way we're gonna. That's the first part of what I'm talking about this morning with discernment. There is the discernment that is a gift. There is a discernment that is trained up in us. Psalms one nineteen sixty six says, "Teach me to know, teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust in your commands." This word judgment here means taste. It is the ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between, to recognize the moral implications of different situations and different courses of action. It is the ability to weigh up and assess the moral and spiritual status of individuals, groups, and even spiritual movements. Earlier, I said that discernment was synonymous with biblical thinking. So the second part is it is synonymous with biblical thinking, and secondly, it is synonymous with to think like God thinks. Because we have immersed ourselves in the Word, we know how God thinks. So discerning is to learn how, what God's thoughts are on things. To see things like He sees them. In fact, in Hebrews 4.13, it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God lays it all out for, it's all laid out for him. He doesn't see all the masquerading. He doesn't see all those things that we put on. He doesn't see the mask. He can see right through when it's laid bare. He sees us as we truly are. So this morning I want to caution you and say I don't. This is not talking about judgmentalism. It's not talking about suspicion. It's not being critical or condescending. But it is a thorough examination. It is scrutinizing through the lens of the Word. It is thinking like God thinks and having His mind. In Psalms 119, 125, he says, I am your servant, give me discernment, that I may understand your statutes. When he says discernment there, he's, the, the words that are translated all through the Old Testament are words like this, acting wisely, cared, clever, considered, considered carefully, considered diligently, discerning, explained, gaining knowledge, investigating, learned, looking carefully, looking at him carefully, observing, paying close attention to See, we individually ask ourselves this morning, what does it mean to engage in being discerning? So the first aspect is this. We must train ourselves to discern. This is accomplished by the Word of God, studying the Word, prayer, intimacy with God, remaining teachable. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. And that is true here too with discernment. Those who are more susceptible are the uh, the ones who have a measure of biblical knowledge our confidence becomes in our ability or our confidence in our intelligence and we can be led astray. The second part is we lean on God and lean on those who have biblical and, and the gift of discernment. See, God gives us these people in the body of Christ so that we can, we can be ready when the enemy comes along because, see, the thing is, is, it's going to be difficult in the last days. The Bible says that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. If I come to you this morning and I say, oh, I've already got the answer, then you know what? I'm not really a sounding board to you. But if you come like this, if, I, if you come with a true heart that says, I don't exactly know exactly which direction here. I'm not sure exactly what I need to do. What do you think about this? I used this a couple of weeks back when I talked about discipleship. What do you think about this? See, when you're talking to your mentor, or you're talking to your parents, or you're talking to that one who is, you're being discipled by, you, say, you, know, you can say, what do you think about this? If you've already made up your mind, then you know what? You're not in the stream. You're already going your own direction. But you know what? See, that's what I love about the relationship that we have with one another in the body of Christ. That we can spur one another on. We can use one another as a sounding board. And say, what do you think about this? And help me develop what God wants me to do. Lenski is a commentator and he said this in certain difficult cases. for For which more common Christian discernment is necessary. What he's talking about is that gift of discernment in Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter twelve, that only comes by that gift of God. It is in that place we need the, the people in the body of Christ who can discern things correctly, because in Matthew twenty-four he says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. It's difficult to discern. That's the problem. It is very difficult. See, I drove a black and white car for 26 years. But the only thing black and white about that job was my car. Everything else, every decision I had to make each day was always in this gray zone. What do I do here? I had to be able to discern. So it is with us in, in, in the relationship with Christ, in the body of Christ. Yes, there are these black and white areas, but when it comes to discernment, we're not talking about evil and good. We're talking about good and best. We're talking about those look alikes because a lot of times the enemy can look good. Ron and I were linked in law enforcement here in Springville for probably the last 10 years. We constantly had to lean on one another. I would have to trust in his understanding of a situation. He would have to trust in mine. If we did not use one another correctly, if we said, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do, then all of a sudden we could find ourselves in in a mess of hurt because we would be out on our own. But we bounce things off of one another. What do you think about this? This is what's going on in this situation. I have first-hand knowledge of it. I loved it. There was times when I would go, what about this situation? Romney would go, well, you know what? I was just over at their house the other day and this is what's going on. There are times when God gives us people around us. The body of Christ is that sounding board to be able to have that confirmation and to move forward. Just like it says in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I've heard this scripture over the years. But so many times I think to myself, we don't really sharpen one another. See, the only way that you're going to get sharp is if you put yourself against something harder than yourself. See, two pieces of metal will, in, in, in a sense, sharpen a little bit. But what he's talking about here, in fact, if you go back to twenty-seven six, he talks about how that, that he uses this scripture, he says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. The context of what he's saying is there are times in our life where we're going to be shaved down and that's how we truly get sharp with those around us who are harder than ourselves because they, and I don't mean hard in the the callousness, I mean harder because we have more depth in the spiritual realm. There is a a broadness to our spiritual realm. There is a, a, a sinking deep and that's it. When we get when we put ourselves when we plug ourselves into those people that have that depth, that's when we begin to really be sharpened. If your mentor has numerous character defects, <laughs> instead of being sharpened, you're going to find yourself doing exactly what they do. That's why this pursuit of God is this constant renewing. It is this constant chasing. It is this constant, I have to get closer to God because He'll reveal more of what's going on in me because my heart is deceitful. It will tell me I'm fine and I'm not. But what He's saying is, listen, as you continue closer to me, I will make you... See, that's why when we sharpen ourselves against Christ, we truly get sharpened. If your your mentor is a cusser, you're going to be a cusser. If he finds himself in pornography, guess what? Eventually, the door is going to open for you to be able to get into pornography. What you need is to find yourself a man that has overcome these things and is living in victory over these things. And then go, that's who I want to mentor me. That's what Paul was saying. Imitate me. As far as the gift of the Spirit goes, I believe that God still empowers some of His people to unmask false prophets and carnal hypocrites. He gives them insight to expose imitations and deceptions that most Christians would take as genuine. Those Christians who are gifted with discernment will be able to compare ungodly words, deeds, appearances with what God has revealed in Scripture and expose the fraudulent leaders and teachers for what they are. They are gifted with unusual ability in separating what is true from what is false and what is right and what is wrong. We still need this in the body of Christ, otherwise we can be led astray. Turn the light for me, good or God.
1: You know, to open up this message on good or God, let me just say this, today in our society and this mentality has even crept into the church, we assume that if something is good, if we see something is good, we automatically assume it's of God. In other words, we've almost made good and God synonymous, because after all aren't we born with the inherent knowledge of what is right and wrong. But now let me say this, if good is so obvious, why then does the book of Hebrews tell us that we have to have discernment to recognize the difference between good and evil? Why does King Solomon cry out at the dawn of his reign, God give your servant an understanding heart that I might be able to discern? Between good and evil look at the context of this Solomon is just about to take the throne. God appears to him Which is mind-blowing and God says ask me anything you want And what he asked for is the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong I don't think good is as obvious as we think it is. I mean you would think it is a good idea To preserve the life of your friend, yet Peter does this with Jesus and Jesus sharply corrects him and says you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. If you remember the rich young ruler, he comes running up to Jesus and he cries out, good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus even answers this all important question of how to be saved, Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. Now is Jesus not good? No, he is perfect good. But what Jesus is saying is, you have a reference point for what is good, God has a reference point for what is good. The two are not one and the same, don't put me in your category. See good is all about a reference point. You can have two families moving into identical homes, three bedroom, two bath homes. For one family it's a good move, for one family it's a bad move. The family it's a good move, they just moved out of a trailer. Family it's a bad move, they just moved out of a two million dollar estate. I remember when God really made this clear to me, I had traveled to Stockholm, Sweden to speak to 6,000 leaders from over 60 nations, mostly Eastern Europe, and I remember I had all day in my room to pray and I was praying about a situation and I had judged this situation to be good, and the Holy Spirit very sternly in my hotel room said, no son, this is not good. And I remember getting in a little argument with the Holy Spirit in that hotel room and finally I kind of put my foot down and I said, but God, all the good that's come out of this situation. And Then the Lord said this to me and this is what impacted my life forever. He said, son, it wasn't the evil side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve was attracted to. It was the good side. And when he said that to me, there's my Bible laying on the bed. I flew over to Genesis and when I read the words, when the woman saw the tree was good, And the word good leapt up off the page. That it was desirable, that it was pleasant, that it would make her wise, she partook. And I'm standing there in shock. And all of a sudden the Lord says this to me. Son, there is a good that will lead people away from me. And I remember in that hotel room, I thought, all of a sudden, I thought, that's how the elect, if possible, are going to be deceived. You know, whenever people ask Jesus about our day, the very first thing he says is be careful that you are not deceived. And he said the deception would be so powerful in our day that if possible the elect would be deceived. And it used to bother me. I thought, how can Christians be deceived? And then I realized in that hotel room, Christians won't be deceived by satanic rock concerts, by drug-infested parties, by sexual orgies. Christians, if possible, would be deceived with evil that is masked with good. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way, there is a method, there is wisdom that seems Right? It seems good, it seems acceptable, it seems pleasant, it seems desirable, it seems profitable to a man, but its end, where it takes you, it's a place that you don't want to find yourself. It's called the way of death.
0: Paul uses, he uses an analogy in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Paul uses this word here, masquerade, five times in the New Testament. Three of them, right here in these couple verses. And it means disguise or disguising. It's it's a long word and I'm not even going to try to attack it. But it mainly means bringing about change, an after effect, an outward shape. Changing the outward appearance. What he's saying to us here is that the enemy isn't going to come in and he's not going to deceive us with just outright evil. He's going to make himself look like light. He's going to make himself look right. And he says there, he says, there's, there's three different types of people masquerading as apostles of Christ, Satan himself masquerading, and then he says his servants also masquerade. And what are they masquerading as? Servants of righteousness. They're going to look, they're going to act on the outward appearance. You're going to go, I, that guy seems like a good guy. Discernment. Discernment, according to Charles Spurgeon, or Chuck Smith says that this "This is why it's extremely important to have the gift of discernment of spirits. You cannot always tell a false prophet by what he says. Many times what he says is 99% correct. And that's what makes him so dangerous. You cannot always tell them by their actions. I love the way Spurgeon put it. He says, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and wrong. Rather, it is the difference between right and and almost right. These are the enemy's devices. It's the 99% club. <laughs> it's almost truth. It's almost right. It's so close. See, the church won't be tricked by just outright evil. It's going to be the good, that, just like it got Eve. It's going to be attempting to do good. It's looking at, our, our opening scripture in Acts chapter 16, what she was saying was true. These are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to salvation. <laughs> the enemy was able to use the very words that God would use. True discernment is not distinguishing the right from wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent and the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between good and the better, and even between the better and the best. This morning I want to close with just four quick things that I believe discernment does for us. The first thing is this. It acts as a means of protection. It guards us from being spiritually deceived. It protects us from being blown away by the winds of teaching that could throw us off course. That's why we need discernment. We need discernment within the body of Christ, and we need discernment as as the body, as an individuals. We should seek to have discernment. We should train ourselves. We should practice godliness, because as we practice godliness, I found this to be over and over and over in my life. As I continue to practice godliness, I find myself farther and farther away from those habits that I didn't want to have. I can't remember; it's been so long since I've I said a cuss word. And I'm like, how did that happen? And there was a time in my life where I thought, man, I can't get rid of this. But as I embedded myself, as I practiced godliness, as I practiced this, see, that's, that's what this is all about. This relationship with God is a practicing of his, fa- his faith with him. And eventually what happens is you find yourself, you've made a progress, you go, I don't know how I got fa- past that situation. I don't know how I got rid of that thing. I didn't think I could ever get rid of that thing but constantly moving forward in God the second one is this the second thing it does is it acts as an instrument of healing discernment can be the surgical scalpel and spiritual surgery that makes healing possible go ahead Patrick it brings us into this place it gets us in this place where we're able to recognize the false prophets it gives us this place that God will help us understand what's going on inside of us It's that spiritual scalpel that God goes in and goes... This little area right here needs to be carved out. Remember, the word of God is a two-edged sword. Sharp. It's able to cut. It's able to cut out what needs to be cut out. The next thing he says is this. "This Discernment functions as a key to Christian freedom. See, there's times in our life where undiscerning Christians become enslaved to others. You say, how does that happen? We can be trying to lead someone else to Christ... We can try to be the one that's being the good example and find ourselves falling over onto the other side or even being deceived by them in the midst of what's going on. But God, I was trying to do good. I understand that. But you know what I love about the scripture here in Acts? Right before this woman is doing this this little thing, the the one that that, uh, Paul rebuked, it says there, They were on the Sabbath. They went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. See, there's this supernatural encounter that happens when God opens the hearts of those. It's not really just standing on the street corner, even though I know people do that and preaching, but it's that encounter with God where He opens up their heart. See, this woman was desirous of the things of God. She was a worshiper of God, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he was giving his alms and God says, I've, I've, I've seen this. I've seen and I've heard His voice. This woman was one of those women. There are people all around us in our community. God God's wanting to lead us to God saying listen I've opened the door don't worry about running to and fro and trying to find that person God will lead you and direct you in the right path he'll open those doors the last thing is this discernment serves as a catalyst to spiritual development Proverbs 14 6 says, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none but knowledge comes easily to the discerning so this morning my question for all of us is I want discernment I want discernment in my daily life I want discernment in the body of Christ that's why God gives us each other he does not want us That's this is why you cannot just go and I'm gonna, just going to sit at home and I'm going to be a TV Christian you can't because it doesn't even flow with the rest of the word of God we need each other I need see I needed Ron to bounce those ideas off Ron, what do you think about this? That's a bad idea, Greg. (laughs) We need that. We need that camaraderie to be able to move forward in correct discernment. Discerning what God has for us. And being teachable. Saying, God, okay, show me your way. I've tried my way and it's failed. Show me your way. This morning, let's just close our eyes. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, I thank you for discernment as a gift that you give to the body of Christ. Lord, otherwise we would be lost, utterly lost. And God, I pray this morning that the rest of us Lord, that our hearts would be teachable, that our hearts would want to get in the stream and be taught. Show us the way, Lord. Lord, let me put away my pride. Let me put away all my thoughts. And Lord, let me just get into stream, into rhythm, in cadence with you. Lord, I want my thoughts to be your thoughts. I want my thoughts to be biblical thoughts. I want my actions to be those things. Lord, I just thank you I praise you this morning. Amen. I want to close with one last thought. There was a... The Catholic Church made her a saint. St. Catherine of Siena. In her dialogue, she says this. If the devil who has come to visit the mind under the guise of light... The soul experiences gladness at its coming. But the, but the longer he stays, the more gladness gives way to the weariness and darkness and the pricking as mind becomes clouded over by his presence within. But when the soul is truly visited by me or God, eternal truth, she experiences holy fear at the first encounter, and with this fear comes gladness and security along with a gentle prudence. I will tell you this morning, the enemy will come in like light. He will make things feel good. If you're a person that is dominated by feelings, you'll be swayed by him, just like Eve. We all are. That's all of us. That's why we need that constant. Lord, set us on the path with discernment. So that I can stay where I need to stay with you.